Folks, let me give you some friendly advice. Do not be the creative who spends thousands and thousands of your hard-earned dollars on equipment each year without spending one penny on your marketing. If there's ever been a time to rise above the noise and do something just a little bit different to impress your leads and wow your clients, I would say now's that time. And my favorite way to do that is by leveraging print promotion using the photography that I am the most proud of. So our amazing friends at Bay Photo Lab have almost every product that you can think of, from magazines to photo books to promo cards that you can leave behind. And listen, if you just want something to dazzle your office or living space at home with, well, they have options for that too. You can get prints and wall displays from basically every style, from canvas to metal to acrylic. And the best part is you can get 25% off your first time order just by going to bayphoto.com, signing up today. They ship everywhere in the world, folks, and all their products look incredible. So do yourself a favor, start leaving an impact, whether it's for your personal memories at home or for your professional marketing at work. Bay Photo Lab, designed by photographers for photographers. You are listening to Entrepreneurs, a podcast that inspires photographers and visual artists who live their best creative lives. My name is Michael Durr. I am your host and a full-time photographer here to give you some tools so you can build your life in creative self-employment. Beyond that, I get to sit down with an amazing community of creative professionals to talk about process, business, and the lessons that have helped them grow. So let's get to it. Entrepreneur Season 2, kicking off next. All right. Good morning or good afternoon, however you're listening to this show. Welcome back. Uh, my name is Michael Durr. I am your host here to provide you some tools to improve your life in self-employment. Happy Friday. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for supporting the show. We are on episode 63, so very excited to kick this off. Now, this is going to seem like a rather strange transition into the intro, but just bear with me here. I do have a point to it. Um, I was just at Costco the other day because, quite honestly, I don't know anybody who can afford gas at regular prices these days. But regardless, after filling the tank, I did what I often do, which is I went inside and I picked up a rotisserie chicken, which I've done over the years many, many times. Now, the rotisserie chicken at Costco, in my opinion, is one of the best $5 purchases that you can make. For one, it's a very decent sized chicken. It's actually bigger than a lot of the rotisserie chickens that I find at other grocery stores. It's very affordable too. If you compare $5 versus eight or nine or even more uh, at other grocery stores as well, it tastes good. And overall, I can spread it out over several meals, right? So I can make it with mashed potatoes one night. I can carve it up and use it as a chicken sandwich the next day. I can put it into a chicken salad. I can make soup out of it. Uh, you won't find, in my opinion, a better $5 spent. Conveniently, this episode is brought to you by the farms at Kirkland Chickens. Uh, no, with all that being said, this is still just a rotisserie chicken. Okay, so there's nothing sexy about it. There's nothing really unique about this dish. They make a trillion a day. It's not transforming your culinary palate. It's not going to wow the in-laws when they come into town. It's just a solid purchase. And so I bring all of this up because today's piece of advice is also nothing sexy. It's nothing that you haven't heard before. It's probably nothing you haven't thought of on your own, but it is sound advice nonetheless. It's not prime rib. It's not Wagyu beef. It's just Costco chicken advice. So I am hopeful that it will still resonate with some of you out there. Uh, you might have already assumed this before, but in my opinion, I think we can all use every once in a while a little common sense feedback. So here it is. My advice for any creative photographer out there is to simply practice redundancy in your workflow. When I say redundancy, I'm basically referring to uh, points of failure that could potentially happen and trying to safeguard them with multiple or duplicate actions. Because the reality is, 
chances are something is going to fail on you or you're going to make a mistake. At some point in time, it happens, all right? Tech breaks down. You lose track of what card you did or did not format. You know, sometimes you just space out and you make idiot decisions. So assume that failure can occur at any point. Sometimes it's your fault. Sometimes it's not, but it's a distinct possibility. So how can you still finish the job? How can you still provide your clients with the deliverables if that happens? All right, so this is not groundbreaking advice here, but it's such a key part of being a professional. People hire creatives who they believe can unequivocally get the job done. All right, so it is not just about whether you have a good eye. It's partly whether you have the system in place that can foolproof your ability to deliver on your services. So in this episode, I'm going to try to list off a handful of redundancies that I think are important to safeguard your pre-production, your production, and your post-production workflow. Um, I'm sure I'm going to leave a couple of things out that I don't think of, but my hope is, at the very least, this is going to get you thinking about your own contingency plans all the same. So let's get to it. Of course, all of these uh, redundancies were kind of thought of with commission jobs in mind. But uh, I think, truth be told, if you wanted to apply this to any non-paid assignment that is important to you, you can do that as well. So keep that in mind. Uh, The first redundancy that I would put into place is using secondary memory cards as backups. All right. So when you go to the back of your camera in your menu settings, find your secondary card slot setting. It's usually marked like card two or memory card two uh, and establish that as your backup card instead of a continuation of card one, which I find a lot of photographers do. So what I mean by that is have your settings write the memory to both cards simultaneously, not just on one, and then when that fills up, it writes to the other. So I'm a bigger fan of just having that level of security. And yeah, it does mean that you spend maybe a little bit more on your cards, not just your quantity, but also the memory size as well. Like I often shoot on 228 gig cards on two cameras. So that's basically 428 gig cards. So it's a little bit pricier on that end. But if I'm shooting something like a wedding or something that's really important, um, I want to make sure that I have all those images no matter what. And so this is really creating a redundancy uh, on a number of levels. Because if you lost that card, you still have another one with the same data. Or if one card corrupts, you still have that data. So the bride and groom are going home happy, none the wiser. They get their images. And like I mentioned before, I would still do this on a personal shoot because you know, oftentimes when I do a personal project, it's coming out of my own pocket. And generally, it's work that I'm pulled to do as opposed to something that I'm asked to do. So there's a lot of meaning to that shoot, even if there's no client risk. So that's redundancy number one is just to make sure that your images are backed up in camera. You know, corrupted cards and lost cards are very common overall. The second redundancy I would put into place are backup cameras. And I've been on several assignments where myself or other photographers have had a camera go down on the job. And believe it or not, in my experience, this has actually happened way more often than corrupted cards to myself and colleagues in the field. I think I've had my camera shut down twice on assignment. I've probably seen it happen another five or six times to my recollection to fellow shooters. And so the first lesson for any professional should be anytime you go out on an assignment, assume one camera might break down and you have the other one ready to go. All right. So this doesn't just apply to event shooters like sports photographers, wedding photographers who almost always have two or three cameras on them. I'm even saying that if you're a portrait photographer, if you're a lifestyle photographer, if you're a product photographer, like what happens to the job if you rely on just one camera and it mysteriously stops functioning? Because I want you to be able to get the job done. You know, you don't want to, you never want to reschedule with a client or tell them, you know, that you have to drive home 50 miles and pick something up. Um, I cannot think of the last job that I've done where I didn't have a backup readily available. Now, one quick little sidebar here about upgrading your gear. I like to be consistent with my camera bodies, meaning I don't want to have a Nikon D4S on one side and a D500 on the other, which is actually my current situation. I've done that for a long time. 
And after a while, I just re- I realized that I just didn't like working like that. I like the consistency of having every external feature be the same on both cameras. So I don't like it when they move ISO buttons for no reason, or one of them has an articulating screen, the other one doesn't. Uh, it just gets a little annoying for me. It's not the end of the world, but it's something that I do look for is consistency in my cameras. And so when I upgrade now, I aim to purchase anything that I can buy in multiples of two or three at a time. All right, so this is contingent upon your own financial situations. Uh, I'm just not one to throw down $12,000 on two D6s. I'm sure as hell not dropping down 18000 on three of them. So instead, I ask myself, what kit can I upgrade to and be more than happy with that I can afford to buy two or maybe even three of right now? And that answer is going to be different for every single person. But I just did this. I bought two Sony a7s, both refurbished at incredible prices. And so overall, in the total, I just spent $2,500 for two cameras that are still upgrades over my current kit. So that's just food for thought. Obviously, that's not going to be everyone's style. Maybe your style is to buy one phase one camera and nothing else. But uh, it's something to consider in context to the theme of today's topic, which is redundancy. You know, what can you afford to buy two or three of? All right. So moving on, third redundancy, let's talk about lenses really quick. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should have multiples of the same specialty lens or the same $2,000 lens. I don't think that's a wise use of your money. What I do recommend having, though, are a couple of affordable options that can approximate the utility of your primary lens, okay, if it happens to break. So if your 24 to 70 gets damaged, do you have something in that ballpark to get the job done? You know, do you have a 35 or a 50 to get you out of that jam? Or if your 70 to 200 drops and the glass breaks, can you finish the shoot with an 85? And I actually heard some photographers even keep their kit lens that they bought with the cameras uh, just for the scenario. Like they they know they can't sell a 3.5 to 5.6 zoom lens for anything substantial. So they just decide to take it with them in case something breaks down and gets them the coverage. And I guess it's not really a redundancy if I'm being perfectly honest of my own definitions here. Um, it's more of a contingency, which I think is just as valuable. It's worth mentioning. So just keep that in mind. Uh, I love bringing small primes to any shoot with me. Personally, I like to shoot on primes anyways. But even if I didn't, and I just like shooting on zooms, and primes were merely for backup purposes only, I think you can get very affordable primes if you're okay with not getting the 1.4s, the 1.2s. You know, so if you're if you're okay with not having the shallowest depth of field, then you're okay with the 1.8 lens, you're still going to get really good optical quality, a very small footprint in size, and it's not going to break the bank. You know, I think a uh, I think a Nikon 50 1.8 that I got years ago was like $200. And it's like the size of a GoPro at this point. Um, so not a bad option to throw in your kit as a backup. Uh, the fourth redundancy I would mention is if you're doing any portrait assignments and you use artificial lights, don't rely on one strobe, one light stand, one transceiver, or one modifier. Okay, so have contingencies for all of them. So if I think I'm only going to be using one light on the shoot, I'll still bring two strobes. And I don't like overpacking. I hate doing it. But these days, a lot of lights, a lot of stands, a lot of transceivers, they don't take up a whole lot of space. So it's not really like this huge deviation from bringing just one of everything. Now, modifiers can be a little bit more space consuming, depending on what you opt to bring. Like if you're bringing a 70 inch true parabolic softbox, I'm not suggesting you buy and bring an identical duplicate like that's just ridiculous. So just like the lenses that I was talking about, just do your best to find easy, portable and affordable replacement options, just in case your first option goes down. So what about a 60 inch umbrella? What about a six in one reflector? You know, lighting on assignment can be very improvisational anyways. So achieving a look or a feel that you're chasing may not require one specific piece of equipment. It might actually be able to be achieved by a variety of modifiers and the skill of the photographer. 
All right, and this is another good moment for a sidebar here. I would suggest that when you're purchasing gear, when you're looking at gear to purchase, uh, ask yourself what the utility is on that product and how versatile that product is. All right, so for an example, I have a rule of thumb that when it comes to buying anything that comes into my kitchen, I try to avoid one purpose, single utility appliances and tools. Okay, so nothing against the quality of those products. They might be really well made. They might be very inventive. But for my kitchen, my workflow, I'm looking for multi-purpose application. So I'm not going to look at avocado slicers when I have a chef's knife. I'm not looking for a rice cooker when I have a pot. I'm not looking for shredder claws when I have forks. So that is just adding more stuff to the junk drawer. So I seek out versatility in a way to sort of augment this notion of redundancy. So to bring it back to photography, the reason why I love bringing a 48-inch softbox everywhere with me is because it holds so many applications. You know, I can just use an inner baffle. I can just use the outer diffusion. I can use both. I can add a grid. I can go bare bulb. I can use a deflector with it to make it look like a beauty dish. I can use it as a white backdrop. It's kind of like the crock pot of lighting. And a silver beauty dish, by comparison, is kind of very highly specific. It's like a garlic press. It really doesn't do a whole lot else. You know, I can't really feather a beauty dish because that kind of defeats the purpose. I can't really get much coverage because it's generally not that big. I can't shoot movement with it very well because the model needs to hit a very specific mark. I generally have to bring a C-stand with me, which is a substantially heavier piece of equipment to bring. Uh, I do love the beauty dish look. I'm not, you know, hating on it. I just, I'm not bringing it to every single editorial shoot unless I know I have the space and the time to set it up. Otherwise, if the art director says you have five minutes to set up instead of 30, I'm just going to grab the softbox. So that was just a long-winded way of saying, you know, seek out versatility, seek out multi-utility in the products that you're going to purchase, uh, because I think it can safeguard you on your shoots and your workflow. Now, moving on to the fourth redundancy, and I'm going to try to make this one a little bit quicker. uh, Card readers, batteries, chargers, hard drives, you know the drill, Uh, especially if you're not near home, if you're 50 miles away, if you're out of town on a job, it's always good to have backups. It shouldn't take up too much space in your bag. It's a lot of cables, a lot of cords. So I know that's a pain in the ass, but um, having some sort of dedicated tech pouch, I think is is a good thing to have on hand to organize them. But yeah, make sure that you're just not relying on one hard drive, one card reader. It's kind of embarrassing if you run out of batteries on a job and you've got two hours to go. So just be prepared for tech to have a mind of its own on any occasion. All right, redundancy number five is having multiple delivery systems ready at the wing. And this is not a pants on fire emergency. Maybe you hadn't thought of it too much, but you know, just have redundancies in place for delivering your images for greater client satisfaction. Okay, so not every client is going to use the same delivery system. So don't just rely on Dropbox if your client asks you to FTP them. Uh, be amenable if they prefer, let's say, a physical hard drive on the day of the shoot. Uh, and you know, consider this as an option. If a client that doesn't have the experience or know how to catalog or archive images in some sort of system where they can, you know, access the images in an organized fashion a year from now, two years from now, consider using your own website. So maybe like it's a private gallery with low res files, uh, but you can store your keyworded images in some sort of systematic way that they can rely on as a backup. All right, so maybe that's another way to provide value to your client is that you'll have this shoot on hand anytime just in case they lose the hard drive and they need something for social media down the road. It's just food for thought. Um, you know, have multiple ways that you could potentially deliver your services to a client. The sixth redundancy is to offer more payment methods. All right, so this is not just for your client. It's also very beneficial to you. So if you reduced the payment options to, let's say, just one, then it's going to limit the speed in which you can get paid. And I did a whole episode on this. Check out episode 22. It's called Seven Ways to Get Paid Faster. The long and short of it is if you just resort to checks in the mail, you're basically opting for the slowest delivery system possible. 
So if you can offer other options, such as PayPal, Venmo, credit cards, direct deposits, it's definitely worth looking at. And on top of that, clients might prefer other methods too. And I did this recently where I accepted credit card payment for my services. I got paid the very next day, which was beneficial. And then the client also got some added bonus points on their card, which is a nice perk. And they got easy access to business expense organization. So don't just accept checks, offer more payment methods. Okay, so the last redundancy I want to emphasize is marketing. And this is really the most important one. I keep thinking back to my interview with Christina Peters back in episode 30, which is, uh, I can't believe that was so long ago. But um, we talked about how it might take 20 or more touch points for a client to remember your name and get back to you. All right, so that's a lot of touch points. Your one email does not make a marketing plan. So what are the redundancies? If you're just emailing, you're limiting your options. So consider phone calls. I mean, the more I do it, the more I love it because you can get so much more accomplished in one phone call with a client than you can in an email. Now, if you need things in writing like negotiations, like bids, then obviously you're going to correspond that way too. But from an intro standpoint, if you can get someone on the phone, it's one of the fastest ways to connect. Another touch point could be physical mailers. And I know it's not as popular to do. It's not as easy to do. But I do think it delivers a seriousness to your brand. It showcases thought and curation and focus. And I'm not going to say it's going to lead to instant jobs. I've sent plenty of mailers out there with no response at all. But um, I do get more unique responses when I do. I'll say that. So I never get a response saying, wow, Mike, that email that you sent really blew my socks off. But I have gotten, wow, I was really impressed by your postcard that you sent, your flyer that you sent. So I do know that it can help separate you from the pack just a little bit. And again, this is not a true redundancy. If it were truly redundant, I'd say we'd send the same exact email pitch every week, and we're not doing that. But if you you view touch points and the value of connecting with clients on multiple fronts as a form of redundant marketing, then consider leaning into that. All right, so we've got emails, we've got phone calls, we've got physical mailers. Um, How about sending them something that they might get value out of, even if they don't hire you? So an article or a blog post that could inspire your leads for their own content creation, uh, a location they might like to utilize. Hell, it could be a person that could help them out down the road. And I actually just did this yesterday. I worked a job for a first-time client. They were located out of state, so they needed someone in LA, very last minute at a 6 a.m. call time. I was referred to them. And after the shoot, I gave them a colleague's name for when they are back in their home state doing their normal routine and they need a local creative. Now, the hope is they view me as a resource for them. And that's important. Now, would I do this for a colleague in the same area as me? You know, maybe not right up front. I'm just being honest there. Um, But there are other ways to offer a lead or a client extra support. Like, let's say they were LA-based or they were relocating to LA. Do they know the makeup artist? Do they know the stylist? Do they know the catering vendors, the grip crews, the agency models, whatever it is? I'd be happy to be that resource to them as just another touch point, another redundancy in my communication with them. All right, so that was um, a little bit longer episode than I actually anticipated. I usually try to keep this about 12 to 15 minutes long. Um, But ask yourselves, folks, you know, how can you safeguard your professional standards? Like what redundancies are in place for you to not only secure jobs, but to work an assignment when gear goes down, to preserve images for you and your clients to receive payment reliably and as fast as possible, you know? Let us know what I didn't cover What's an important redundancy for you to practice in your own business? Hit us up at Entrepreneurs Pod on Instagram or on Facebook. Uh, also, leave us a review or rating on wherever you're listening to this show. And don't forget, everyone, we're on Audible, which is really cool. That is my favorite audiobook platform. Uh, that is my time for today. I want to obviously thank 
our wonderful Kirkland Chicken sponsors. Um, I want to thank you all for tuning into the show, for supporting the content. Uh, we will be rolling on in Season 2. Thank you again for tuning in, everybody. And I'll see you guys next week. What's up, entrepreneurs? Thank you for tuning in and making it all the way to the end of the episode. If you enjoyed the content you just listened to, hit subscribe and tune in again next week. Also, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Entrepreneurs Pod for updates, promos, and giveaway contests that we run throughout the year. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out our really cool website, EntrepreneursPod.com. It's a great resource for you to download informational PDFs and booklets, access discount codes from our amazing affiliates, and read what our audience is up to on our community blog. For now, I just want to say thank you for tuning in, supporting the show, and being a part of this journey. This is Michael Durr signing off for now, Entrepreneurs Season 2. Let's go. This episode of Entrepreneurs was brought to you by Bay Photo Lab. First-time orders receive 25% off on any professional photo printing product or service. Yes, I said 25%. Just go to bayphoto.com to browse the amazing selection of gifts, prints, and displays. That's bayphoto.com once again. Thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.